Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though. We are so glad you tuned in. And we want to say a hey, hey to everybody tuning back in when they turned off from everything during the summer. Ashley and I were just (laughs) chatting about how in the summer, people are just living their best life. They're not in their routines and their normal way of life. But here we are. We're all back. And we know you. We know you're listening. We can see where you're from. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so, uh, but we're back and we are... And we are not stalking you, by the way. We're totally stalking you. And, <laughs> and we are in the middle of discussing um, all the beauty and the gems that are featured in Ashley's new book, Rise of the Truth Teller. And we are uh, neck deep in that and learning so much. And it is such a... Uh, sweet little amuse-bouches every Thursday to find out what she has labored over as she wrote this book for all of us, for all of us who've wondered, do we have what it takes to be honest with ourselves, honest with our story, and honest with other people? Mm-hmm. She is she is sparing no expense in telling you what's what in this book, and she does it like a the eight that she is. And I just have to say, Ashley, <laughs> uh, at SIP right now, the women's Bible study that I'm a part of, we are going through the Enneagram. And last I night. I love that. It's a I'm lot of fun. I'm so jealous that I can't be there. It is all kinds of fun. Well, you were. Let me tell you how. So we were going through each number, <laughs> and I was giving examples of people who personify each type. And when I got to eight, I said, let me tell you about my friend Ashley. And Aww. all the podcast listeners in the audience started shaking their heads. Oh yes, because they knew God. what I was going to say. Just <laughs> takes no crap from nobody. And my example, my example was, she's the person you tap when you're out at a restaurant when you want something sent back to the to the back because you're too scared to say it. But you know she will, and she'll have no qualms staring that person down. <laughs> yep, and I'll be um, kind while I do it. But wait, what? We need to come up to standard here. Yeah. Or you just <laughs> send people straight when you're out on the streets. Whatever the case that may too. be. Yes. It is it's such a delight. Oh, such a delight. And that beauty and that tenacity and that conviction and that passion comes through in Ashley's book. Now, y'all, this book comes out next Tuesday. This is Whoa. Thursday. This book comes out Tuesday, October 1st. There is still time to pre-order. There is still time. So we're going to have the link in show notes, and we would love for you to be part of the cool kids, guys. Yes. Don't wait. October 2nd, what? No. (laughs) The answer's no. And just because we're going to throw confetti around, kindness like confetti, isn't that the saying? Kindness like confetti? Yeah. You can leave a review on Amazon or Goodreads or Barnes & Noble that first day. To just share with the world all the goodness. So, Ashley, thanks for letting me talk you up for a second. Today is all about why the world is not safe or kind to women, though. Ashley, tell me a little bit where that idea came from. Yes, well, this idea originally started with just 
walking down the street one day and recognizing how many interactions I had with men on the streets that were about how I looked, some type of sexual comment, somebody hooting and hollering about something they shouldn't be doing or saying, and just feeling so frustrated. And because this happened to me, um, I, I kind of went in and I thought to myself in my house, what in the world? Like, how is it that women are walking around every single day and burying alive all the things that we deal with, the things that we have to to just face on a day-to-day basis or on a weekly basis or on a monthly basis in our jobs, walking down the street, in our families even, or in our places of wherever we inhabit, you know, our spaces that we walk and move and breathe in every day. And I just started thinking, I started recounting different things that had happened to me in the last like month or two. And I was so overwhelmed as I thought about them. But in a way, I was happy that they were coming out because I'm like, how did I stuff all this stuff down inside of me? And where is it coming out? Because you cannot just swallow these things whole and expect them not to not to affect you. And then I started thinking about different friends of mine who are struggling, like high capacity, incredible women who are, who might be struggling with things like fatigue or just constantly feeling irritable or constantly feeling like they're just sort of underneath something that they can't get out of or feeling like they're very overwhelmed, even with, even if they feel like their workload and life load is, is one that is manageable. And then I started thinking, man, it's because we have so much that we carry. And so many of us have heard the term microaggressions. If you've been alive, on the planet, you know, in the last five years, especially you've heard that term microaggressions. And we have talked about this a little on our podcast from time to time. And usually in the context of race, which is completely and entirely appropriate. But I was thinking about how Webster's defines this and it says this, it is a a comment or action that subtly and often unconsciously or unintentionally expresses a prejudiced attitude toward a member of a marginalized group. And so while the word is very often applied in the context of race and ethnicity, I most definitely contend that women have to deal with microaggressions on a regular basis. And if you think about things like resting bee face, or like if you are upset Mm -hmm. in a meeting at work, you must be on your period, or there's different comments that just get made um, to us all the time. And people catcalling us on the street and, you know, having to relive famous abusers (laughs) doing whatever they do all the time, which is very triggering for women who have experienced those things. So on and on and on and on and on. So this idea of the world is not safe or kind to women, not only is it rooted statistically in facts, but it's also something that the ordinary woman is dealing with literally all the time. Right. Absolutely. When you touched on the workplace, that was the first thing that came to my mind when a woman is, um, you know, demeaned and she doesn't feel like she can speak up or if she did, there would be consequences for it. Um, when she's taken advantage of uh, in her home, uh, by extended family, by friends, by her, by her church, when she feels like even the safest mm. places, perhaps her faith community or her group of friends turns out to be a place where she, she doesn't feel safe, having to carry those wounds and wondering where you take them to and letting them just fester inside you. I think it can really, yeah. um, it can really take you out when you least expect it. And, and it's yes. just these slow, um, just these, just this slow burn, right? Like it's not something that just this big thing per se all the time. Sometimes it's a little bit upon a little bit upon a little bit before you know it, you're just bearing this weight that feels impossible that you were never intended to bear. Right. I agree with you. It's the whole, this is my lot in life. Like I, I yep. read about this in my book because I'm like, really? Like this is just the way it is. And even the things that we're talking about don't even scratch the surface to what women are going through every day. And in my book, 
um, in this particular chapter, chapter eight is on aggression, the truth about aggression. And I talk about this birth story. My second son was born here in New York City. And already there's like some funny things that are just borderline traumatizing. Like, for example, we didn't have a car here. So we had to take an Uber literally to the hospital. And I was in transition. I didn't know it. And if you don't know, you know, if you're single, maybe you haven't had a lot of friends in your life who've had babies, like transition is the part in labor where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is where there is cursing. You never know what's going to happen. Like it is the most painful part of labor. But the great news is you're about to have a baby. So I'm in an Uber. We're on the the freeway here. You know, you get to the hospital. And then I remember being taken upstairs. And the second I get off the elevator, they take my wheelchair. (laughs) Like I have to stand. I can barely move. I'm having contractions every two minutes. Um, And then I... There was a guy at the front desk who was doing paperwork. So he was asking me a whole bunch of questions, which I couldn't answer because I was way too like far in my labor. My husband started engaging with him about the questions and they took me back to triage, which is already traumatic enough. I'm not talking about labor triage. I'm talking about actual triage so they can like prove that I'm actually having a baby. I don't know how this wasn't obvious. Also, it's my second child. Like what the heck is happening? Yeah. Oh my God. Not your first rodeo. Not my first rodeo. And so then the guy who was doing the paperwork had sent my husband into the waiting room to to finish filling it out quickly. And then instead of going to ask my husband questions, he came back to where I was. I was already with no clothes on except for my hospital gown. And so I'm laying there exposed and he can see everything as he comes in to start asking me questions about the paperwork. But I was by myself in triage. There was no one there to see it happen. And then we get back um, to my actual labor room. I'm about to start pushing um, because they found out I was crowning in triage. I'm sorry if this is too much detail for the men in the house, but hey, this is real life. Um, But I, and then he walks in to my hospital room to ask another question about paperwork. And then sure enough, at the, the, after I'd had the baby moved to my room, he comes through, there's a time in New York in most hospitals where your husband cannot spend the night at the hospital because the rooms are shared. And so Cody had to leave between, um, like 3am and 6am. And this dude walked by my room as I'm breastfeeding my baby third time I see him. And so I was like, you've got to be kidding me. But this is just like, these are things that happen all the time. And it's like, what do I do? Do I report this guy? Like who's going to actually care? And if they do now I have to do paperwork, I have to wake up my sleeping baby. I have to deal with the first hours of my baby being about catching this freaking dude and filing reports and seeing if anybody's actually going to care about this. And I was like, this is what it's like for women. It's yeah. like, we have to constantly choose to put stuff down because the fight, feels too great. Yep. And that's not true always, but for me, very often it is. It's like, do I talk back to you on the street? Do I just start yelling at you right now? Or do I just keep walking and ignore it? Because what if you decide you're, you want to go crazy? You want to hurt me. You want to do whatever you want to do. You want to say something really unkind. So I think so for so many women, we're constantly brokering our um, value, if you will, yeah. <laughs> You're deciding what's, what's it worth? Is it worth it for me to do this? Will anybody have my back? And so I think it's really important to talk about aggression um, because it's so real in our world. We are dealing with aggression all the time, microaggression and also just overt aggression where it's like, I don't know what to do about this or if it's even worth fighting against this because this is just what happens to women. Yeah. I was thinking even, um, in the past 40 to 50 years, laws that are so new, they're in the past 40 and 50 years that mm-hmm, are protecting mm-hmm. women in the workplace, um, mm-hmm. in medicine, in, uh, you know, in retirement, all of these things where women have been second and not had any agency, not had any right. way to advocate for themselves. Yes. And when you realize some of these newer laws, I can think of, um, if you've ever watched the movie On the Basis of Sex, I know I've mentioned yes. it here before on Why Though. 
uh, where RBG fought and won her first case um, alongside her husband, Marty. And it was advocating for a man actually to be a caregiver mm-hmm. because the the law was written as such that really it was intended for a woman that which only a woman That's would right. want to care and so she was advocating right. for a man to prove that we deserve equal treatment no matter who right. we are no matter where we come from but the fact of the matter is we have a long 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 way to go we really do. And it's hard to legislate those day-to-day things. It's like right. a whole mindset shift that's needed for both men and for women um, in, in every area of life. And I think sometimes this whole thing drives our desire to create an image because we want to create this idea of perfection or we want to not deal in reality because it's too hard. It's too hard to really sit Mm -hmm. down and think about the things that we deal with. It's too hard to think about the comments that we hear or the things that we witness or whatever might be happening, whether it's to us or to someone else that we see. And so we create this whole image or this ideal that we want to live up to because that is so much better than dealing in reality. And so it creates this opportunity, this illusion of perfection in our lives. And I really do see why we do it. It's like, this is basic survival survival in this circus that we live in, (laughs) you know, it's basic survival for us to put a mask on and try to deal with our life that way. How do you process when other women treat other women as they see men treat them? Like what goes through your mind Mm. when some of the things you just described, when women personify that? Oh my gosh. You know, I just recently experienced this actually. So that feels like quite a personal thing. Um, but I think the best way to handle it is with honesty. So if I'm advocating for someone else and I do, I do fully understand that I've journeyed in my health and in my wholeness and in my healing and in my acceptance of my actual personality in such a way that I would be able to use my voice in a way that is helpful for another woman. So I'm recognizing that I'm on that side of the spectrum because I know not everybody has journeyed that far yet and that's okay. Um, but I'm on that side of the spectrum. So for me, if I witness another woman speaking to another woman or doing something to another woman that is, you know, unacceptable really, or that she's bowing to some sort of, um, you know, traditional gender male, st- uh, standard or norm because she feels like she has to, whether that's in the workplace or it's on the park, you know, she's got to be the alpha yeah. mama, you know, whatever it might be. It doesn't just happen right. in the workplace, but wherever I think for me, the first thing is to have an honest conversation. Um, sometimes I'll advocate like, Hey, you can't, you can't speak like that to her. Um, and then the second part is having a private conversation, like a one-on-one of like, Hey, when you said this, that was really offensive. And did you mean it like that? And why are you treating her this way? And did you recognize this behavior and what it's establishing in the office? Like I think having grown up conversations is a really big deal. Um, Thank God I've been out of environments like that for a very long time. But I think that's it is, is being an advocate, using your voice, and then also having a private conversation and then continuing to affirm the person who gets shut down. I mean, that's a, I'm a huge advocate for that. Like if you watch that this person never speaks in a meeting or this mom never gets to talk at the park or this young woman on university doesn't really get to speak up in her circles, like finding ways to pull her out, draw her out asking a question like, Hey, what did you think about that? Or, Hey, you were about to say something. Can you finish that thought? It was really good. And encouraging her and advocating for her voice because each of us deserves the right to be heard. And like you said, Tiffany, exercising agency, a huge part of that is other people making a way for you to do so. Yep. Absolutely. Because I think so often those microaggressions easily slide down the hill into large scale aggression where, 
because there's there's a context of complicity at some point, right? Where these things are okay. Totally. Everyone feels like mm, th- this is this is okay in our society, in our place and space. Yes. And it and really somebody loses. Somebody yes. loses, and it's often women. I agree with you. Yeah, we have to really be mindful of that. And it's so, we have to stick together, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and honestly, it's not about bashing men or bashing the women who, who feel like they have to do that. It's about calling people higher. You know, it's yeah. like, you were created for more than this. You were actually created to do better. And so I'm yeah. going to call you higher. So it's not about me trying to shut you down or me trying to make you, you know, feel like you're an awful person. But it's like, hey, come up, like, come up higher. You deserve that. You you can operate in full character and full integrity where you are a person of honor who honors yeah. other people like come higher and so I think yeah. that's a really important thing to remember that you're not stepping on toes or hurting people's feelings or making them feel some type of way but it's like no come higher you don't have to live this way because at the end of the day you have to live with yourself and that's not okay right so uh give me a, just a little little snippet of how you journeyed through that place of aggression to a place of peace and truth telling mm-hmm. to yourself and being able to live that out Yes. Well, I think that I had to really realize, um, and I've talked about this on our episodes as well, but just, I had to really realize how much anger was a part of my life. Mm. And as women, I don't think that we're allowed to be angry most of the time. Like one of my favorite books about this, um, is called anger, the forbidden emotion. And it's such a powerful life-giving book because it gives women permission. And it also described anger in ways that I had never heard anger described. So for example, it talked about procrastination actually can many times the root of that can be anger because you've said yes to something that you either don't have the margin to do, felt like you were pressured to do and really didn't want to do. And so you're procrastinating because you're actually angry that you have to do it. And I was like, whoa, I relate to that. And I understood the smaller, more muted forms of anger that were existing in my life. And I think that I felt like I really didn't have a right to be angry. And I felt like I didn't really have a right to be assertive or to be aggressive. Like I thought those were all really bad things for women. And then when I became a Christian, I think the same was true. Not only was I a woman, but also Christian people don't do this. You know, they don't get mad. They don't get upset. They just like (laughs) keep it moving and they smile and they're nice, you know? And so I think part of it was me recognizing and owning the fact that, yeah, I'm angry. I actually am angry that this is the way of the world. I am angry that I have to deal with this when I walk down the street. I am angry that my sisters are going through things that are unacceptable. I am angry about that and allowing space for that anger and then learning to move through it in a healthy way. And so, you know, I have several just simple practices that I do when it comes to anger, um, if that's helpful. But my first one always is to breathe. Um, I return to my breath and as silly and cliche as that sounds, but meditating and just sitting and breathing, like counting breaths, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, so that I can calm down before I do something else. So returning to my breath, really getting in touch with my body, because personally, my body has always been my first truth teller. And I have very often ignored her Mm. (laughs) and not listened when I could feel the alarm bells going off on the inside. And so many of us who have experienced trauma, you know exactly what that's like. It's so hard. When you have been through traumatic experiences, you learn not to listen to your body, you learn not to listen to your emotions, you learn not to listen to your mind that the things that are happening in front of you that are real are not real. That's what you get taught. And trauma, that's and often that's reinforced. Abuse. Yep, and often Correct. that's reinforced by the people around you. That is be exactly like, oh yeah, right. no, you're right. I shouldn't listen to that. 
That's exactly right. And so we have to really get in touch with kind of our gut instincts and our body. So breathing helps me do that. It helps me return to reality. It helps me return to truth. It helps me return to um, calm. And so breathing is one of the first things I do. If I need to walk away, I'll walk away. If I need to speak, I'll speak. And then, um, you know, my next kind of round of that is processing. Who do I have that's safe in my life that I can talk to about this? Is it a person? Is it a counselor? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Who's, who can I speak to about this? So this anger doesn't live inside me and make me sick and eat me alive because that's what anger does. It eats us alive. And so often they trace things like depression back to anger. That's just mm-hmm. a muted form of anger because yeah. really you've been hurt, which, and the hurt, it maybe made you feel hopeless or helpless. And so that turns into anger. And then that anger, because you don't feel like you can express it, turns into this sort of depressive state where you're like, well, I can't do anything about that. So whatever. And we just sort of turn our emotions off and we turn our life off and we turn our way off because we just have been hurt, angry, and then depressed about it. So for me, those are kind of my three things is returning wow. to breath, you know, um, calming down, processing like we need to do those things wow thank you for sharing that i know so i mean i'm so blessed by hearing that i know so many listeners are as well wow ashley that was that was incredibly powerful Hmm. uh and really just as you said realizing that aggression and anger is not anything to ignore it really desperately needs to be addressed we wouldn't ignore a crying baby let's not ignore any aggression or anger that we're harboring because we lose in the end and if we are going to see this world be the beautiful uh, equitable you know lovely place it could ever be then we have got to be able to own our own stuff and deal with it so wow that's a powerful thought any last words Well, I wanted to ask you, um, why do you think that we push it down so far? Like things like anger or things like, you know, rage or things like um, aggression. Why do you think we push that down and not face it and not deal with it? I think twofold. Number one, we handle our pain how our family of origin handled their pain. Mm. So if we were modeled with some, you know, really crappy tools, for lack of a better term, if they, yeah. if we saw our parents use tools that didn't uh, really allow themselves or us to arrive to a place of wholeness, why would we? And then as adults, I don't think we have the tools in our toolbox to walk ourselves through a healthy process to a healthy place unless we're willing to seek that out. So I think that uh, just as you said, it's the way of being a woman, right? To stuff it down and act yeah. like everything's okay and we always tell each other we're fine and really we're just you know, feeling like a dumpster fire and don't know what to do and right. things are getting worse totally. by the minute, but we don't know how to yes. deal with it. So I think, and even worse, just to add this, sorry if this is a bit of a rabbit trail here. I love it. Um, I think that where it really goes haywire is when we project that aggression onto others. It's really a cry for help, but mm. we do not know how to hold our own anger and mm. invite others to bear the burden with us in a safe and vulnerable way. So Mm. instead of asking them if they would like to bear that burden with us and and journey with us, we project it on them and then they end up holding our aggression, which is not something that they signed up for or asked for, but they really do love us. They really do love us and they really want to walk with us, but we are pushing the people away that could help us and that could serve us Mm. because we don't know how to hold our own pain. Ooh, that's a whole thing right there. No. You know what? I sometimes forget about that side of anger because I have always, anger has always turned inward for me as a self-harmer. 
And mm-hmm. so I forget that sometimes um, the way anger gets processed is to attack others. Oh, um, yeah. And so I forget about that. I mean, I most definitely have been angry with my kids or whatever, you know, but it's not my go-to to attack another person always. Right. Um, it very rarely happens. So I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that's a that's an important thing for us to remember. Oh, it really is because we all react either, right? We're either going to take it inward or we're going to take it externally. Outward, so true. And and yeah, and in either way, we still need help and wholeness. And I think in either way, the answer is still the same, to take the deep breath, to recognize where it's coming from, to listen to the pain um, and to move forward from there and get the help and get the help we need. I think that we all want new beautiful endings to the broken storylines of our lives but we're not going to ever get to them if we keep doing what we've always done Hmm, it's so freaking true tiff i love you i love how you have journeyed through so much and then that's just the true joy that you walk in even though you have experienced so much and i appreciate that so much about you as a person i'm like you leave us no reason to not move forward and no reason to hold on to stuff and i really love that about you Oh, thank you, friend. I think the world is waiting for us to take our place yes. and to, as you say so perfectly, to rise up and tell the truth. Yes. Uh, listeners, you are listening to a saint right now and you have got to go pre-order her book. <laughs> it is just so... Also, can we just talk about how beautiful the book is? It I is. want listener to make you salivate because I'm holding it in my hand <laughs> this very moment. Not only is it a beautiful, good-sized book you can hold in one hand, it is embossed. That's right, people. It's embossed in the letters, including her name. And it's like actually gold. (laughs) On the the picture, I was like, oh, I like that color. But I'm like, oh, no, no, no. This is like actually gold. Like the kind of gold you'd buy for your wedding invitation. Do you know what I mean? Like (laughs) they spared no expense. They spared no (laughs) expense. So you're going to want to... You're going to want to grab this little gold book. I know it's going to be an encouragement. I know it's going to be a challenge. And I also know that it is going to breed such compassion for those around you who are in the hardest, darkest days of their story. Yeah, come on, Tiff. Mm, I'm so good, grateful good, good. for you. Oh, I am grateful for you. And again, listeners, we love you. Thanks for tuning in. We are yes. here for you. If you ever want to post about it, hashtag why though podcast. We come see on. you. We find you. <laughs> We do. I mean, we're mostly on Instagram. <laughs> we're hardly on Facebook, but we'll go there and find you if we need to. Yes, we will. <laughs> Have right. a great week. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, listeners. Remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit TiffanyBloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit AshAbercrombie.org. See you next week.